Good morning, church. Good morning. Buenos dias, iglesia. Buenos dias. No, you need a translator? I said it. Good morning. Good morning, church. It is so good to be out here this morning. Roy said it best when he addressed the the comfort that we're experiencing underneath this this um, beautiful white tarp. How many appreciate the tarp this morning? Yes. I don't know about you, but I really, really, really appreciate it. I was sweating like a dog earlier. I don't know why. We were setting up the sound system, and I could not control the sweat because of the level of humidity. But thankfully, we are not in the East Coast. You would not be enjoying yourself, not the slightest bit, if we were in the East Coast. My mother says they're experiencing 97 degrees with 100% humidity. How would you like that? No. You, you'd be a lot thinner, that's for sure, because the fat would come right out of your pores. I want you to pray with me. I'm thankful for the worship team. I'm thankful for that prayer there in the last moment, uh, of course. But I'm a man of prayer. I really, really enjoy it. Don't worry about that. That Japanese beetle is harmless. It'll only destroy your hair. Uh, don't worry too much about it. It'll be gone in a few moments. It's more afraid of you than you are of it. You can't see? No, it can't see. It can't see. Okay. Very nice. So I want you to bow your heads with me. Let's pray. We're going to get into the Word of God. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today. We are thankful to you. We are, we are honored. We are privileged. We're so grateful today, Lord God, that we are out here in your presence. We are networking with one another. We are in fellowship. We are in sync with one another this morning. We pray that you take care of that Japanese beetle, Father. Shoo it away from this place so that it doesn't serve as a distraction. Allow us, Father God, as we are in your presence to rejoice in you this morning and to experience whatever it is you have in store for us to receive from your word by your Holy Spirit. We are thankful for your word today, Lord God. It is the lifeline of the believer today. Uh, but may you bless us and may you encourage us and may you give us the understanding needed, Father, as we discuss our topic today on prayer. Help us to learn and help us to appreciate, Lord God, from you, whatever it is you have for us this morning on the topic of prayer. We love you and we praise you. And these things we pray, of course, always in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, that one little book that you probably have not read, unless, of course, you read through the Bible with us last year. Or early this year, I should say. Last year, early this year. I kind of forget. Huh? Last year, right, Sandy? Amen. Sandy said, Amen, Amen. Get your, get your thoughts right, Pastor, she says. I can see it in her eyes. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. And the title that I have for you this morning is A Call to Prayer. Not sure if you remember, but a couple of months ago we touched on the subject of prayer briefly. And the truth is, we can never say too much on the subject of prayer. I know that you would agree with me um, with this particular concept. Uh, I think the what, what in your mind would be an organization's number one, at least one of the number one components or elements to any organization... Is there, is there a component more important than that of communications in an organization? 
I think it's safe to say that an organization that does not communicate well with its employees is an organization that will not necessarily function efficiently. And that's the key, efficiently. And the same thing holds true for the life of a believer. A believer who is not engaged in prayer on a regular basis, on a constant basis, is a believer that will struggle in many ways as it relates to personal and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We know that Paul the Apostle stressed that a number of times in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 17, the Bible says pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. And in Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, he stresses that emphasis again as well, that we are to take our prayers, our thoughts, our meditation and give it over to God as often as we possibly can and He will keep our hearts and minds in, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And of course, Peter stressed this particular point as well in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where he says, Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Suffice to say that prayer is an extremely important topic in the Word of God. You may find yourself this morning struggling in some way. We're all struggling in some way, but as it relates to our fellowship or our intimacy with God, there are certain struggles that we can in fact endure, especially as we progress, as we grow, as we develop from faith to faith, and glory to glory, there will always be a, an element of struggle. But with regard to our intimacy with our Lord, our fellowship with God, there doesn't have to be a struggle. And only you can gauge this morning where you are in your heart as it relates to your faith. And if you're struggling this morning, I encourage you to take up the mantle of prayer and you will realize relatively quickly that your struggles will be a thing of the past. Let me ask you, how many are praying this morning? How many pray on a regular basis? Amen. I want you to look with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses. I'm not sure what the bulletin says. I think I included all the verses in the chapter. But we're going to stop at 11. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. The Bible reads, The burden, and by the way, my version may be a little different from yours. I'm, I believe I'm using the New King James Version. I'm not sure if it's the ESV or New King James Version. The burden which the, pro the prophet Habakkuk saw, the burden or vision or prophecy which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Let me pause right there for a moment. Not sure if you realize it already, but it kind of sounds like what we're dealing with today in society today. It, it kind of mirrors exactly, perfectly. And I would encourage you on your own time to look at certain passages, at least from the middle of the book of Jeremiah to the end of the book of Jeremiah, and the both prophets are seemingly talking about the same predicament in the land of Israel. 
because both prophets overlap in terms of the tenure as prophets before the Lord God. In fact, Ezekiel is found in there as well, and so is Daniel and maybe Amos. They are there, their, prop, their, their, their careers in ministry with the Lord kind of overlap, and when you read those particular books, you kind of hear the same thing. The, the fact is that if you read into the book of Ecclesiastes, you will find that there is nothing new under the sun. What is, has been, and always will be. And that's exactly why it is safe to say that we are experiencing in society today the very same things that they struggled with back then. The prophet goes into this kind of this, this dialogue with the Lord. I haven't forgot where I am. The prophet goes into this dialogue and he stresses a dialogue. And we find that when you study carefully, that it is the means by which he was able to overcome. In fact, it is safe to say that the remnant of God who existed back then, along with this prophet, were able to overcome the injustices in society because of their intimacy with God in prayer. And the same holds true for you and I today. And that is the point of this particular message today. In spite of what is happening in society today, in spite of the evil, the injustices, the destruction, the compromise, especially coming from our leaders, our politicians, you and I can indeed overcome if we do so in prayer. I'm going to start with verse 3 once again. It says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Now listen to God's response to the matter. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work and work in your days which you would not believe. I'm going to pause there again. I'm not sure if you noticed that as Habakkuk was kind of complaining to God, he probably, it's probably safe to say that he, he, he kind of realizes that the silence of God equaled inactivity on the part of God. And it never does. Sometimes, from time to time, we perceive God to be inactive. As if He is not at work behind the scenes concerning His will for our individual lives. And what's more, concerning His will for our lives as a body of believers. God is always active. God is always working behind the scenes to ensure the victory for His children. Amen, somebody? Amen. Listen, I don't know what you're going through today, but it's, it's, it's encouraging to me to know that God is still on His throne. Amen, somebody? Amen. That God is not silent. That He is not inactive. That He's still working. It says, look among the nations, verse 5 once again. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, for indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling, place, dwelling places that are not theirs. They are a terrible and dreadful people. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. 
Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for the heat upon earthen mounds and seas. The Chaldeans were an evil people. And by the way, uh, I kind of struggled to place the Chaldeans on the map. Who were these People, some of you may have asked that question from time to time. The Chaldeans later became known as Babylonians. They were a, a tribe of themselves in the southern part of Babylon. And they were kind of independent from the Babylonians until a Chaldean king took the king, the, the throne. And then eventually Nebuchadnezzar, he was Chaldean as well. He was a Babylonian. And these Chaldeans, they were evil people. They were cruel. They were barbarians. They had no mercy. Not even upon children. They slaughtered everything in sight. So in this passage, when we find God's response, where he says, I'm sending forth the Chaldeans into the land. You've got to put that in context. The prophet thought that God was inactive. As if he wasn't in control. As if he was unaware of the atrocities that were taking place in society. And God responds to him, listen, I am not inactive. I see all things, for I am omniscient. I am all present. I am everywhere at the same time. I am sending the Chaldeans into the land and they are going to consume the masses without mercy. Now I would imagine that the prophet Habakkuk took a couple of steps back in relief because he kind of wanted God to move violently like that because of the evil that was taking place in society. But nevertheless, as we read the entire book of Habakkuk, we find that God uses this particular prophet as an individual placed in the gap, sort of between God and the people. And he was using the heart of Habakkuk to plead to God for mercy. But that's another sermon. In this one particular passage, what stands out interesting to me is the fact that the prophet Habakkuk repeatedly cries out to God for a response. And I kind of think about what is happening in society today, and I think it's true and safe to say that we will always have more questions than answers as it relates to the things that are happening today. And there are so many different varying views with regard to the things taking place in society today. we got governors that have raised themselves up in defiance of the things that pertain to God. It is easier today to protest, as Pastor Roy was talking about earlier, and not to have to socially distance while you're protesting than it is for godly people to gather in a place just like this. It seems as if there's a double standard in society, and we as believers are always on the negative end of dot, 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 fill in the blank. And it's easy for our hearts to become discouraged. 
it is easy for the things that are occurring in society today to cause us to lose sight on what God is actually doing behind the scenes. But let me submit to you this morning, as I did already, that God sees all things. That God is in fact active. That God is in fact at work. And one day, very, very, very soon, God is going to explode on the scene. He's going to explode in society in a major way. He's going to shake up the church and that's exactly what he is doing because God wants to make sure that his children are indeed his children. It's one thing to declare out of our lips that we are children of God. It's another totally different to actually live out the standard of God. And the difficulties in society today do in fact serve to make a distinction between the believer and the non-believer, including in the house of God. Because not everybody in the house of God knows the Lord personally. That's just one of those facts of life. Two things immediately stand out in this particular text. Like so many other instances throughout the Bible. Sin had run its course in the land. There was so much injustice. Generation after generation of rebellion. And this prophet, he actually talks about that. In fact, I encourage you, there's only a few books, uh, uh, rather, a few chapters in this particular book. When you leave here today, I encourage you to read it. It'll take you 15 minutes and you can go through the entire book. The northern kingdom had already fallen to the Assyrians. It's important to point this out because this, the prophet Habakkuk was speaking to the other kingdom, to the southern kingdom. And we know that according to prophecy, which indeed was fulfilled, the Babylonians came in, swept the land, and hauled away the living to captivity for 70 long years. For 70 long years. It's important to note that this is something that occurs in every society from the beginning of time when people, when mankind turns away from the living God. It, 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 it begins with a simple compromise. Then it evolves into a magnificent evil in society. We can use that word magnificent. A terrible evil in society. And how many generations exist today of, say, young people? I'd hate to always point out the millennials, but they seem to be the ones fomenting this, this craziness that exists, these riots and these things that are happening in society today. And you've got to wonder where their hearts are. Is it a generation that really believes in God? We can't indict the law, right? And there are some peaceful protests which may indeed should be taking place. But the violence is always unjustified. Let me get back to the text here. The second thing that, that stands out from this text is that God had raised up someone to stand in the gap. Sort of someone to serve as a liaison. Someone in the gap between God and mankind. To plead to God for mercy and to plead to God for activity on the part of God as well. And there are a number of things I want to share with you this morning as it relates to prayer. Because you and I as children of God, we are supposed to go before God as often as we possibly can. Because there's a victory that you and I can experience only through 
intimacy with our God and our Creator. How many say amen to that? It's the only victory that we can experience. The only way that we can experience victory. And that's through prayer in the Lord. I want to, before I move on, there's a word here. Look at verse 1 with me. Look at verse 1. It says, Habakkuk had received, it's a paraphrase, a vision or a burden from the Lord. Verse 1 says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Not every version represented here this morning actually uses that word burden. What does your say? Oracle. Oracle. What does your say? Anybody else? Oracle. Oracle. Prophecy. What else? Vision. Vision actually applies. And, and so when I read this in the New King James Version, I wondered why does the text use the word burden? Why does it use the word burden? The Hebrew word for burden or the Hebrew word for prophecy or vision or oracle does indeed translate into burden as well. It's M-A-S-S-A, masa. Masa. It means a heavy load. And as I stated, it does indeed translate to oracle or prophecy. But the intent in this particular passage is that the message that prophet Habakkuk was receiving from the Lord was overwhelming. It was a heavy burden and that it generally produced a burden in the heart of the recipient of this particular word. Namely, the prophet. God had an overwhelming message for the prophet. An overwhelming message concerning the people regarding an overwhelming response from the Lord that was going to take place. Which is why Habakkuk responds the way that he does in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not say. It's amazing. What clearly happened was that God spoke to Habakkuk about the condition of his people. Somebody needs to tell them this is a no-fly zone. This is a no-fly zone. So what clearly happened was that God spoke to Habakkuk about the condition of his people and of course of the coming judgment and it produced a burden within him. A great concern for his people. So he does what any decent Christian should do. He cries out to the Lord. In other words, he prays. He makes a proclamation, proclamation to God. A, it was both a call for mercy as well as a call for judgment. Mercy, for example, for the abused, for those on the receiving end of injustice, and judgment for the perpetrators of that violence. And so the prophet Habakkuk, he stands in the gap, which is what God intended for his life. And I want to pause here for a moment and submit to you that this is God's intention for every child of God. There is no such thing as a believer not having a particular ministry from the Lord. God always chooses to activate His people. He always chooses to activate His children to do something, to contribute to the enhancement of the kingdom of God this side of heaven. There are talents that you possess that I will never possess. For example, I will never 
be able to stand behind a microphone and sing a song. It just can't happen. It should never happen. And I think you should be ready with tomatoes the day I think that I can make that come to pass. It's just not going to happen. Listen, make sure you have your potatoes and have potatoes. They're a little harder than tomatoes. Make sure that I never get it in my mind ever again to stand before a micro behind a microphone to sing a song. See, I know my place. I know my place. The point is that you possess talents and gifts and abilities that God has bestowed upon you when you gave yourself to Jesus Christ that are necessary for the enhancement of the kingdom of God this side of heaven. There are injustices that you can impact in society today. There's a difference rather that you can make if only you would stir your faith up or stir yourself up, stir the faith up within you to do something about what is happening in the lives of people around you. I like what Paul the Apostle says in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. That's another assignment for you. Where he talks about evangelism or the need for the children of God to go out because if we choose not to go out, how can the people hear about the Lord? And ultimately, how can people be saved if we as children of God are not proclaiming the word of the Lord? I think it's time that God's people rise up without any fear, without any apprehension, and do the things that we are called to do by God Himself. Listen, if i got to stay right there on that tone like a broken record, I will. Because it's, it's, it's necessary for you and I as God's people to hear this. We're kind of pampered a little bit. We're spoiled a little bit. As believers in society today. We've inherited all things. We got it good. We got it going on. There are relatively few difficulties that we are experiencing as believers in the United States of America. It's not the same thing in the Middle East. Where Christians in Iran and Southern Korea, even though it's a democracy in South Korea, they're still dying in China. They're dying in the hundreds on a daily basis. Imprisoned often. How many of you subscribe to the ACOJ, the American Center for Law and Justice? You get emails from them. I see, I see those in the back. Amen. Some of you. I'm not alone. J. Allen Sekulow, an amazing man of God. And he's doing a lot for believers all over the world. And if it weren't for his firm, for his ministry, there are certain pastors who were released early this year who would still be incarcerated today in Iran, in Afghanistan, and in some other places like that. I think it's time for God's people to rise up. Yes. And we kind of denounce the comforts that we that we've been entrusted with, that we've that've been handed down from one generation to the next. And that we violently grab a hold of the horns of the altar to do what is necessary as children of God in society today. This is the message here. God is looking to reinforce the same purpose in our lives. He's looking for prayer Warriors. Why? Because he's looking to do a great work. One that requires our service as ambassadors. Put this down in your notes if you're taking down notes. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21. It's not in my notes, but I, but I know the passage. Paul the Apostle stresses the idea that as children of God, we are ambassadors for God. We are his representatives. We are liaisons. Liaisons. 
We are the ones who stand, who God intends to stand in the gap between Him and lost humanity today. Because we can make a difference in somebody's life. We can make a difference in somebody's life. I was sharing the word yesterday with a young man in a swimming pool yesterday afternoon. It's a young man who's struggling with the concept of faith. And it's hurting to me personally when I learn of anyone's struggle as it relates to faith and belief in God. I think there's nothing more just fill in the gap with any descriptive word. There's nothing worse than to encounter someone who's struggling with a belief in the almighty living God. When in my mind, in my mind, God has more than sufficiently validated His existence throughout the annals of time. There's nothing God has to do that is new to validate His existence. And no one in their right mind can deny the historicity of Jesus Christ. No one in their right mind can do that. And yet it's happening in society today. There's a generation today that's, that's, that's being raised up without any fear for God, any reverence, any respect for the things of God. And so by default, by default they're embracing the lie, the error. Habakkuk knew this. On the one hand, he was troubled by the injustice in the land. And on the other, he was seemingly confused about God's inactivity. And so he cries out to God. Look at verses 5 and 6. Because God responds here. He said, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days. You got to hear this personally today, God's people. I will work a work in your days. Which you would not believe though it were told to you. How many of you take the time to read the scriptures concerning the end times? Eschatology passages like Daniel and, and Ezekiel, the latter part of Ezekiel and some, some certain chapters in Isaiah. In fact, here's another assignment. Isaiah chapter 30. Read Isaiah 30, 8 through 12, 8 through 13. Read those verses. Isaiah predicts a generation that would flip everything upside down, calling evil good and good evil. And isn't it not true that that is an indictment for society today? Almost everyone deems good evil and evil bad. I, I hope I said that correctly. I did not, right? Okay. You, you, you get the point. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 5 says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you, not, which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Dot, dot, dot. I am raising up the Chaldeans. Was God asleep? Absolutely not. History teaches us that he was using a handful of prophets during this time to convey his message of repentance. And I think God is doing the same thing today as well. The Spirit of God is moving in the house of God this morning. The Spirit of God is moving in Christendom today. No matter how bleak it appears to be, God is still on His throne. He is still working His work. He is still reaching hearts. He is still saving souls today. And one way or another, He's going to reach your heart. Like the young man that I was talking about. 
by the poolside yesterday. Wrestling with whether God is real or not. And why? Because, of, because his sensitivities have been nurtured by secularism. Things he's hearing in school. And friends in the community who are not godly. He's absorbing the lie and it's reproducing within him. Hence the struggle in whether God is real or not. And I challenged him. I challenged his conscience. I pricked his conscience with my words. And he understood my point. And so ultimately he was open to hear what I had to say. But what he did conclude the conversation with was, well, I will take it into account. Rick. I will take it into account. And I said, I said, that's, that's all right. That's all right. You're, you're like the Bereans you, who, who hear and then you were search the scriptures to confirm the things that I've stated. I said, that's okay. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But here's the crux. Prayer allows us to best position ourselves as vessels in the hand of God. We're talking about prayer this morning. And I'm not talking about religious prayer. I'm not talking about premeditated prayer. I'm not talking about something that this, that's been written on paper for decades or generations or even hundreds of years. And for you to recite as if you've done your prayer, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting down and dirty. Getting in the trenches with God. I'm talking about shedding a tear or two. Rending your heart before the presence of God. So that you can see that He will move mightily. In many ways, society is the way that it is. In many ways. Note what I just stated. It's not an absolute. But in many ways. Because good people are now silent. Because good people are now silent. The church has fallen asleep. The church has been anesthetized by the injustices in society. We've taken a back seat because we don't want to stir up the hornetsness. We don't want any problems. We don't want any issues. And we took the line. Somebody help me here, please. Point number one. I hope you're writing down. Prayer establishes fellowship with God. Prayer establishes fellowship with God. Habakkuk was in his position because God... Let me start that again. Habakkuk was in his position before God because he was in fellowship with Him. He was fundamentally different from everyone in society back then. He was different. His heart had been changed. His heart had been transformed by the presence of God. Prayer establishes fellowship with God. How many of you enjoy fellowship with the Lord this morning? Amen. Come on, come on, be honest. Come on, let me see your hand. hand. How many have intimate fellowship with God? You cannot be afraid of that. You cannot be intimidated by that. When you find yourself in the marketplace, when you find yourself in the presence of unbelievers, you have to be willing and able to stand up for the things that pertain to God. You have to be willing and able to identify as a child of God, as a believer, no matter who stands in front of you. You got to be willing to defend that. I'm a child of God. I don't care who hears it. I don't care who's upset with that. In fact, I'm going to get a shirt that says, I don't care. 
<laughs> and then they're back. I'm a man of God. We have to be willing to wear our faith on our sleeves. Paul the Apostle in the the sixth chapter of the second book of Corinthians, he takes on this notion where he says there has to be a distinction between the world and believers. What fellowship has Christ with Belial, light with darkness, we have to be different. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 16 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once... This is not a good version. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made, made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. I'm just simply talking about the fellowship that prayer serves to establish. Whether you're Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. If you look to God through Christ Jesus, prayer will establish a fellowship with the Almighty God Himself. I I love that. Habakkuk's fellowship with God enabled him to make an appeal to God for the people in society back then. He believed that he could do so. He believed he had the right because he had fellowship with God. Let me ask you this. Do you know someone who doesn't know Jesus? I think it's safe to say that we all know someone who doesn't know Jesus. Make an appeal to God on his or her behalf. God will hear you. Are you listening to me, church? Make an appeal to God for the unsaved relatives in your home, in your family, at work. Make an appeal to God. God will hear. That's what Habakkuk did. And there was a major response as a result. Verses 5 and 6. And then God kind of pauses, allows the prophet to speak again, and then God gives him another response. And that's kind of kind of the, 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 the model of the entire book of Habakkuk. God speaks, Habakkuk does. And then back and forth. He prays because he believes in it. Point number two, prayer guarantees transformation. Prayer guarantees transformation. We know it transformed Habakkuk because of its expressions. Look at verse 3. It says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. No one, and I mean no one, can make a statement like that if his or her heart has not been changed. Why are you showing me? In other words, why, why have I become so sensitive to the sin in my own life? Why have I become so sensitive of the sin in society around me? What is happening to my heart? That's what prayer does. When you find yourself in the presence of God, His light, that the Bible says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all, from whom all good things flow. 
God is light. And listen, when God shows up, He exposes everything. Yeah. In fact, the Bible says that one day he's going, to, he's going to expose all things. And everything that's not rooted and grounded in His Word is going to come down. I love that about God. I love His purity. I love His awesomeness. God is so awesome, the prophet in the prophets in the Old Testament actually utilized the word terrible. He's so awesome, he's terrible in a good way. Try wrapping your mind around that. Prayer guarantees transformation. Here's an illustration. Simple, you know what? I'm going to leave it alone. I'm thinking about time, i got to move on. When your heart is changed... Even the simplest things are appreciated. I remember, I, should I, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I shouldn't say this. I, I got a friend, I'll say it this way. I got a friend who was recently released from, from prison. He did 20 years in a prison in uh, North Carolina. And I've been in touch with him quite regularly. And in fact, he violated, he's back in. And I've been in touch with him through an app called Global Telling. It allows you to communicate with inmates, to send emails and text messages, stuff like that. So I communicate on a regular basis. And one of the things that I have found to be true concerning those who are who have been released from a lengthy time in prison is that they stare at the sky. In spite of the fact that they got their children and their families and their loved ones around them with whom they are well, the family at least is trying to conversate with them, but they find themselves like this, staring at the sky. And he was asked, well, what are you doing? What are you staring at? I'm staring at the sky. When was the, when was the last time you looked up to the sky to appreciate the glory of the Lord? Yeah. Huh? It, when the heart is transformed, you will learn how to appreciate even the simplest of things. Yeah. And Habakkuk's heart had been changed. I gotta move on. I got some more stuff. Point number three. Prayer sanctifies the heart. You know that I'm long-winded, and if I don't do what I'm doing, even though I'm risking to sound like uh, really incoherent, and, and I know, I know that I know. But listen, I wrote something down that will last an hour and a half. And I, got, I just got to be fair with you. I don't know how to produce. Roy has not taught me that yet. Roy has not taught me how to produce a 45-minute sermon. I, don't, I just don't have it. I just don't have it, Roy. Good one, Roy. Preacher, brother. Only got to blame it on something, huh? It only comes out by prayer and fasting. Ooh. All right. I'll get you. <laughs> Point number three. Prayer sanctifies the heart. Prayer sanctifies the heart. I want you to look at verse three once again. It says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. One of the things that I should have said as it relates to the previous point is that the apostle, well, the, the prophet Habakkuk became extremely sensitive to the sin in society around him. Extremely sensitive. And he asked God, why, essentially a paraphrase, why do I possess these sensitivities? Why are you showing me these things? 
What we don't know is a conversation that took place as God unfolded the vision in the heart and mind of the prophet Habakkuk. Because it seemingly goes right into a dialogue. But God had given him the vision, and this was his response. The, the impact that the word of the Lord had on his heart. And he felt, he realized, he was acutely aware of the sin in society. But it must be noted that he, too, was transformed by the revelation of God. Because when you find yourself in the presence of God, if you are a committed believer, and you take the time to read the word of God, listen... If one way or another, God will utilize His Word to transform your heart, your soul, the essence of who you are. He'll transform your life. Any transformed Christians in the house of God this morning? Oh boy. Very few, very few. Let me, let me ask that again. Let me ask that again. How many of you have been transformed by God here this morning? Okay, that's, that's a little better. That's a little better. Then if you take note of those who did not raise their hands, we got to call them up this week, okay? Habakkuk not only had a sensitivity for right and wrong, his heart was cleansed of evil. His disposition had completely changed, which, which means that he had developed an acute sensitivity for sin. That's why he states in verse 3, Lord, why am I seeing these things? Please resolve this evil and do not allow it to affect me. He had been changed. God removed the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. We need that today as children of God. We need to find ourselves in the presence of God more often than what is the case. If you're praying once or twice... On a regular basis right now, let me challenge you this morning to pray just a little bit more. Pray a few more times. Live your life in prayer and I promise you, the things you are struggling with today will be a thing of the past tomorrow. I know why they said, Governor Newsom said, no singing, no, no, no. He should have said no preaching too. Because I'm so glad nobody's standing in front of me right here. Some Lulu caught that. Janine called that. <laughs> Let me move on. I read this particular passage this week, and when I got to this particular point concerning the sanctification of the heart, I realized that this is the one point that, that should concern us most today. Because today in society we are just so susceptible to compromise than any other preceding generation in the history of mankind. We are most susceptible today to compromise. We are easily influenced today by the negativity in the world, by the sin that exists in the world. And, and, and the generation, the young generation, the, the children in society like Riley and, and Hannah and others, the young children today, we have to be careful how we handle them. Because there's so much evil in society today. And if we are not careful as parents, they will automatically absorb, they will pick up the, 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 the falsehood, the lies, the, the compromise, the, the ideologies in society today that are not godly to say the least. 
We have to protect our children today. Amen, somebody. Amen. We have to protect our children today. We have to make sure that we admonish them in the things of the Lord. Raise up a child in the way that they should go, that so that when they become old, they will not they will not depart from them. So necessary today. Let me move on. I want to read a passage to you in Isaiah 30. I mentioned these verses to you. I'm going to read them. I forgot that I had the text here. But I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear this with your heart. In fact, I want you to turn there. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. Come on, every page. Every, I'm going to wait on you. Amen. 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 My amen comes in the end, okay? Don't, you, you're not preaching, I am. That's it. Keep this guy in line, Tim, please. Keep him in line. Everybody there, say amen. Isaiah 30, I want you to hear this. And I want you to take note of the words that are used by God to the prophet. That this word not only applied to the generation Isaiah was speaking to then but applies to the end time generation. Isaiah 30, look at verse 8. It says, Now go, write it before them on a tablet, and note it on a scroll, that it may be, here it is, highlight these words, for time to come, for a time to come, forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers or to the prophets, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. That's an indictment for this generation today. This is a generation that, that considers evil good, and good evil. We flip things upside down. And we justify our beliefs and our actions. It seems to be a total dismissal of what is true. And we're seeing that, as I stated already, in society today. From the White House to the Church House, compromise abounds. From the White House to the Church House. Which, of course, it speaks about the great loss of spiritual sensitivity. Even in the house of God today. Faith is not what it used to be in the house of God. I want you to look at a... I want you to... I'm going to read. Go, with, go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm almost done. Psalm 51. I want you to see this. Remember, I'm still on the point. Prayer sanctifies the heart. Prayer sanctifies... Psalm 51 was a psalm written by King David during a time in his life of great, great, great compromise. I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 11 where he found himself at the... 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. He found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time. Kings were supposed to go off to war with their armies and King David for whatever reason... Got a little lazy that day, like me. He got a little lazy. He chose to stay home. And gee, I don't appreciate your tone. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. 
He got a little lazy. He stayed home. And the Bible says that he found himself up on the balcony, the terrace, whatever you want to call it. And he was looking down from his perch, if we could put it that way. He was high and lifted up. He was where he wasn't supposed to be. He was looking down below and he saw a woman who was taking a bath. She was washing herself. He looked upon her. He desired her. He called for her. He slept with her. And ultimately she became pregnant. And he hatched a plot to keep her by killing her husband. And one day, of course he thought he got away with it, but God sent his prophet into sea. Who was it? Nathan. Huh? Nathan. Nathan. The prophet Nathan went into sea. Um, the king gave him a story, a parable. He says, you that man, you that man, you're guilty. And David found himself between a rock and a hard place and he had to repent. Thankfully, he was a man who recognized his sin and he repented of it. And Psalms 51 is something that he wrote after confessing his sin to God. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Any, any, anybody here know what hyssop is? Anybody here has a hyssop tree or a hyssop bush? In your backyard, you know what that is? It's a bush that actually we utilize to make, uh, what do you call that when you, you consume it and, and it kind of purges, it cleanses? Exlax? Well, we, we, from that hyssop tree, the hyssop bush, we actually use ingredients from it to make exlax. You consume a leaf, just one simple leaf, in that concentrated form, I'm sorry, Bill, but you will not go to work for a whole week. You will, that's not right. That's not right for putting you on like that. No? Okay. So, <laughs> you will not go to work for a week because you will have the runs. It's up. And so, he uses that. Figuratively, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my, my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit. That's a song, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? Well, I think we need to sing that. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Last verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. David made a grave mistake and it cost him a lot. It nearly cost him his kingdom. But he repented. He cried out to God. He prayed to the Almighty God. He received his forgiveness. Prayer sanctifies the heart. And last point. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded for... I'm sorry, this is not 51. Back to the text. Back to the text. Habakkuk 1.5. It says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe. The point here is God is still at work. 
Say that with me. One, two, three. God is still at work. One more time. God is still at work. I love that about my Lord. I love that about my God. That He is active and He's moving mightily. Initially, Habakkuk seemed to be disheartened over the Lord's, quote, inactivity. The injustice in the land rendered deep in the heart of the prophet Habakkuk. He, 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 everywhere he looked, he, he, it registered, he saw it. The abuse that was taking place, the pain and the misery that people were experiencing. I want to give you a really quick illustration because it hurt me badly the other day. And I think Don, where's Don? Don Lansley, where are you? Oh, there it is. He knows who I'm, I'm talking about because he saw the gentleman. There was a man who walked up to our church property, property the other day. And an older gentleman, I asked him, he was, I think, 77, I think he told me, 77 years old, right? It was a little warm outside, and he was outside. And I nearly took him all the way home. He, he traveled an hour and a half on bus to get to this, this place next door. I'm not sure what that is. What would... Huh? Convalescent home. His wife is there. And of course, he wasn't allowed in to see her. But what broke my heart is that right from underneath him, he was unaware of what his oldest daughter did to him. When he was, I don't know, at work or somewhere doing something, his oldest daughter came in, took mom out of the home. She was a homemaker. Took mom out of the home and placed her. They brought her an, an hour and a half away and placed her in this facility next door without telling him. As if it would go over that easy, just like that. A man who's been with a wife for nearly 50 years and just like that, you want to take her away from him? And I'm, and I'm standing out there for an hour and a half listening to his, his broken heart. And I can't believe what it did to me just listening to that. And he was just venting, just venting. And I tried to console him. I tried to give him perspective. I talked to him about the Lord and things like that. And ultimately I tried to take him home. But he didn't want to leave. He even called the police. The pain that he felt is... It's because his daughter took mom, his wife, away from him. Can you imagine, Ms. D, what, what you would feel in your heart if we took Ron away from you? By force? Or anybody else for that matter. If we took your child away from you, how would you feel? Ms. Sherry, if I took Ariana away from you, just, just, you can't have her, she's mine. How would you feel? Guns are blazing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so can you imagine the heart of Habakkuk? Because you got to amplify the misery, the pain that I felt after talking with that gentleman for an hour and a half. Amplify that a couple thousand times. That was the heart of Habakkuk. And that's what happens when we find ourselves in the presence of God, listening to the truth of the Word of God. It, it, it creates within us an acute sensitivity for the bad things that are happening around us. But it is the will of God that we feel those things. Because it's the only way that he can motivate us to do what is necessary for the kingdom of God. It's the only way. But sometimes, more often than not, we dismiss those sensitivities. Or we avoid those sensitivities altogether. And so we are not moved by the hand of God to do something around the moral blight in society today. And we wonder why God is not working and God has to respond to us. 
In the same way he responded to the prophet Habakkuk, I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe even if it were told you. God is still at work. That's the point here. No matter where he looked, he saw misery. But God said, I'm going to work a work. I want you to take note of something. Even in the midst of that sensitivity, the prophet continued in prayer. He made up his mind, he made up his mind that he would stay connected to God. Listen, church, no matter what is happening in the world around you, you've got to stay connected to God. Even if you have to transition some way, somehow, you have to stay connected to God. You gotta make decisions you don't like. You gotta stay connected to God. We have to stay connected to God. Let me move on. Chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. That's chapter 2, verse 4. Look at it. Behold the proud. This is God's response again to the prophet. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by faith. God is saying, I see what is happening in society around you. I see it. I know it. I'm going to work. The Chaldeans are on their way. You mind your own business, he says. You live by faith. Stay connected to me. Live by faith. Take heed to my words and my commandments. Live those things up. I will take care of sinners and the evil around you. The Lord said that to the prophet. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. God sees all things. We will all give an account one day. 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16.9 16, says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong and mighty on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. God is still at work. The bottom line is that prayer is a mighty weapon in the hand of a child of God. Someone once said, and I quote, It connects us to God and it connects him to us. Prayer connects us to God. And it connects him to us. Think about that a little bit. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You know this particular passage, right? The armor of God. As he moves towards closing that particular chapter, Paul the Apostle references prayer. And it appears as if prayer is not referred to as one of the weapons, as one of the pieces of the armor, when, when in my mind it is. Yes, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is amazingly important. But without prayer, without this connection to God, the general in the army, without a connection to God, where would we be? Prayer is indeed a weapon as well. Um, Roy mockingly referred to a verse a little bit earlier. He says, without prayer and fasting. This one does not come out except with prayer and fasting. There are certain, I've said this before in this church, there are certain difficulties that we live with today that will not be resolved in our lives unless we go before the Lord in prayer and in fasting. 
It's a powerful weapon in the hand of a believer. Amen, somebody. Amen. I'm done. I want you to stand with me in prayer. Worship team, can you come up? Stand with me in prayer if you can. I'm sorry for jumping around. I wanted to get to the, to the, to the main point. And I think you get the point. Prayer is significant in our lives. Listen, prayer is extremely important in the life of a believer. Do not dismiss it. Do not take it for granted. The victory that you're looking for in the Lord, you will experience it very soon if you stick with a prayer life. I want you to bow your heads with me. Nobody talking. Nobody talking. I want you, I want you to bow your heads, please. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Because I need you to pray to God. Don't wait for me. You don't have to pray out loud, but I need you to pray to God. You have your sensitivities. You know exactly what's happening in the world around you. You know exactly what's happening in your own home, in your own life. I want you to turn to the Lord in prayer right now. He sees what's happening in and around your life. He knows what is happening. And as you pray, and I want you to remember those who are part of our fellowship who are sickly. Those who, like Rhonda Lipson, I want you to pray for her, please. Pray for her because she was diagnosed with cancer. Pray for Miss Eileen, Miss Irene. Pray for, pray for Miss Charlene. Pray for Brother Ron, Muir, Miss D. Pray for the others that come to mind at this time. Miss Evelyn Atkinson, please pray for, pray for her right now. Please pray for Miss Pat Ward. She's here with us this morning. And others who come to mind. This is, an op- this is a call to prayer, church. Right here and right now. Don't be in a hurry to leave to, to get the roast out of your oven. Or that fine dining place that you like. Please pray, church, right now. Please pray. God wants to use us to make a difference. And if no, if, if in no other area, our own homes, our own family members, our workplace, our co-workers, pray right now. Pray for somebody who comes to mind right now. There's power in prayer. The Greek word there is dunamis. There's dynamite power in prayer. Why? Because we serve an almighty living God. There's nothing impossible with God. You're not doing so in your strength. You're doing so in the strength of God Himself. Allow yourself to be discomforted right now for the next few moments. And pray, church. Pray, church. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. We magnify your holy name today, Lord God. And we say we need you today. We look to you in prayer, Father. And we thank you so much for this word today. The importance of prayer. Can you motivate us, Lord God? May you please motivate us to seek the face of God, to seek your face, Lord God, more often, to commit more of ourselves to you, Lord. Help us to pray. Help us to read your word. Help us to study to show ourselves approved. Help us to stand in the gap, Lord God, as your servant, the prophet Habakkuk. To be, to be sensitive, Lord God, to the sin in our own life. And in the lives of the people around us, in society around us, and to, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our president, to pray for Israel, to pray for believers around the world, to pray for our own missionaries, Lord God. Help us to pray. Break our hearts. Rend our hearts this morning, Lord God. Make us become uncomfortable, Lord God. 
that we may realize the importance of prayer. That we may become a, a God-fearing people, a sensitive people, a committed people, a consecrated people, a determined people to serve the living God. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Hear my Lord. Send me. Help us to be your ambassadors. We love you, Lord God, and we praise you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Remain standing for the next few moments as we worship the Lord. Oh, to Jesus Fellowship with God, our sanctification, all those things that Rick's talked about this morning are part of what we have 
because of prayer. Make this a week of prayer, a day of prayer in each of our lives. That's my prayer. God, make us a people of prayer. Do that in our lives as our prayer together. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.